When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, welcome to Wrestle Buddies GameSpots Wrestling Podcast, both wrestling friendship and wrestling with friendship. It's been a while since I've said that. I am your host, 40 for 40, Matt Elfring, and with me as always, Dark Order member, 40 for 40, Chris E. Hayner. Hi. Join the Dark Order, Matt. Join DarkOrder.com. We're back from summer vacation. And oh, by sum- yeah. And by summer vacation, I mean, what? I was traveling briefly. And then well, we're also super busy. And I went through what I would like to call a nervous breakdown and just didn't want to record partly because we're super busy. There's too much work to be done. I've got a lot going on at home. What's the last what's the last one we did? Was it SummerSlam predictions or was it Adam Cole Bay? I think it was SummerSlam. Wow. Sorry, guys. We we endeavor for this to be a weekly podcast, but like also there's no time. Also, we are two thirds of a department that runs a giant, the entertainment section of a, a giant website. Conglomerate. Yes, we are a conglomerate. Um, and also, like I, I'm still convinced that nobody at work knows that we do this podcast, and thus, it has it can't be the top, top, top priority. Although I kind of want it to be. I only want to be wrestle buddies. It should be. Should Matter your glasses broken. Yeah, um, thank you for noticing. Um, right over here, yeah. uh, I've got blue electrical tape. I should have used black because black no. matches. I'll tell you why it's better to use blue. It looks like you're making a fashion statement. This is a fashion statement. The screw came out of my glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in there, but it will not screw back in. because. Uh, oh, is it stripped? It, it, no, this is bent so weird that it won't fit back in. I oh. um, And I have not had time to go to the eye doctor. Because uh, Chris has been keeping up. my I had water heater problems. We haven't had hot water in a day, which doesn't sound like a huge struggle. But guys, uh, yesterday was shower day for the whole family and mm. ooh, no showers for us. Mm. Matt, I'll be honest with you. I've mm-hmm. never been to the eye doctor in my life. Oh, it's not for everybody. <laughs> it's not for everybody. But like I'm the only but like everybody in my family wears glasses. Mm-hmm. So I'm either the freak because I don't think my eyesight's bad. That's what you think. But like, maybe I'm wrong. I um technically, when I first got glasses, the ones I'm wearing, um, I was only supposed to wear them while working on the computer. Uh huh. Because I technically like. But you wear them all the time. Yeah, I could be like this and be okay. This looks weird. It does look weird, right? I, I don't look. Like I look like this is. I look like a mugshot of someone from like Virginia that got arrested. I did wear glasses recently. Um, uh, Lord Pumpernickel and I, we got to get in. Lord Pumpernickel, by the way, has created a wrestler, mm-hmm. uh, a wrestling persona for themselves to put in the real world that they hope will get them signed by AEW. But we should talk about that next week because I feel like I'm distracting a lot from like, we have a big honking interview this week. Do we haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. 
Like the whole purpose of this episode is we have a big honking interview with a genuine rock star. I believe um, I, I have not looked this up. I'm going to guess multi Grammy winning two Grammys. Yeah. 97 and 98. Uh, one American Music Award. OK. One MTV Europe Music Award. And Matt, two count them two. MTV Video Music Awards from the same year for two different videos. They got Video of the Year. Oh, no, I'm sorry. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven MTV Video Music Awards. One video, one Best Alternative Video. One video, one. Stay with me here. Video of the Year. Breakthrough Video. Best Direction. Best Visual Effects. Best Art Direction. And Best Cinematography. And here's the best part. This person's musical career during the course of this interview is brought up zero times. That's not true. That's not true, Matt. He brought it up a couple of times. They're like, well, I have experience in the music industry. No way. Yeah, he did. (laughs) No, Matt, no way he does. Oh, yeah. Uh, As if we don't know who Billy freaking Corgan is. Guys, we're talking to Billy Corgan uh, of the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I will note the video uh, that won all of the awards of the VMAs in 1996 is Tonight Tonight. Yes. Beautiful music video based on kind of an homage to Trip to the Moon. Yeah. Uh, But 1979, one of my personal favorite pumpkin songs, uh, won Best Alternative Video. I was talking to guys in our D&D group last night about this interview because I hadn't seen them in a while. And I I was like, oh, you interviewed Billy Corgan. And everyone has a different favorite or a different favorite Smashing Pumpkins song. Yeah, it's very not bad or Who, weird. Whose was Bullet with Butterfly Wings? No one in our group. Really? Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. Bullet with Butterfly Wings in 1997 won the best hard rock performance. It's at a the fantastic Grammys. song. Uh, in 1998, best hard rock performance. The end is the beginning is the end. I believe in our group yesterday we talked about um, today. Which is fantastic. That's the greatest so, day. T- uh, tonight, tonight. Uh, and mine is Disarm. Okay. Mine remains 1979. I love but that But also, track. like, I have, like, 30 favorite pumpkin songs because, yeah. I mean, it's a Chicago band. I'm a Chicagoland boy. Anyway, so we're talking. Uh, but, we're, yeah, we're not talking to Billy Carter about Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> he owns the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA. He, he is, purchased it. He's relaunched it. Uh, they are uh, they're building it back up. You know, I mean, they have the name recognition, but they're building the league in a crowded atmosphere. But they have the means, the talent uh, and some really good programming, good, good programming. And also it's on it's on the YouTubes, guys. Yeah, man. It's like easy to watch. Like whole episodes are just up on the YouTubes. And also uh, Maxi Impaler is on it. Like I'm saying on a few episodes and I'm super into Maxi. Oh, this is what I didn't talk to him about. And I want to do before we get to the interview. Uh Dirty Dango, formerly known oh, as yes. uh, Fandango, and JTG are in a uh, in a tag team called uh, the Dirty Sexy Boys. Hell yeah! <laughs> it's the best thing ever, man. Anyway, that, that uh, is that is that is Breezango levels of cool. And they're just like they're just swiveling their hips, like they're having a they're having a good time. I mean, we saw JTG at Mania weekend. Did we? Yeah, he came out for. Uh, uh uh his partner 
There was an induction into the Hall of Fame. The Warrior Award was the other Crime Time member. Oh, he came out for for Shad. Shad Gaspar. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. God, I can't believe I could remember Shad Gaspar's name. He was my favorite member of Crime. Like, I love JTG, but like Shad, I, I always thought like, wow, Shad could be world heavyweight champion mm-hmm. easily. Yeah. He's a he's a built dude who can wrestle like crazy. Anyway, anyway, we don't talk about that with Billy, Billy Corgan. Corgan. Let's uh, we'll go to this interview, then we'll blabble away, blabble, whatever. Here's Billy Corgan. And it's most of the episode, guys. So enjoy. Yeah. Hey, friends, we got a very, very special guest today. Uh, I'm very excited. Chris is very excited. Uh, we'd love to welcome to the podcast none other than the NWA president, William Patrick Corgan, also known as Billy Corgan. Uh, sir, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Do, do we address you as William Patrick Corgan or do we address you as Billy? I want to make sure we're on the we're starting on the right level and everything's it- good. This is perfect because wrestling is the perfect medium to discuss this this very important question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Years ago, I jokingly, you know, you got the stupid signature in your emails, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I got some prompt. This is like 10 years ago. I got some prompt and it said, you know, what do you want to put here? And I jokingly wrote, my name is now William because my real <laughs> name is William. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And a journalist that I was conversing with about something, a, a music journalist, picked up on it, ran a story or put it in a story and suddenly it became like a thing where people were running headlines. Now he wants to be called William, <laughs> which is really funny. Cause it's not like I changed my name to something. It's not, I just wanted no. to be called my formal name, not my, cause when I was a kid, I was Bill. Cause my dad was Billy. Then I, then I became Billy, but then Billy almost became like my stage name, right? That's how everybody knows me. Yeah. And as you know, working with professional wrestlers, you get used to calling them, especially if you know them personally, you'll call them sometimes by their real name and sometimes by their gimmick name. And they answer to both. So I answer to both. So I, I I can't be offended. But in my mind, Billy is my gimmick name and William Patrick Corgan is my real name. But what's funny is in wrestling, I've been using William Patrick Corgan. So I, I think it's a gimmick name now, too. So that that's I was just going to say that now you have both of your names have become like character names. Like I which have, is it's well, I, kind I of with William Patrick Corgan because it's got a little bit more heat to it. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. President William Patrick Corgan sounds more more heat than president billy corgan it just sounds like ugh. well the name william patrick corgan also just definitely sounds like the president of a wrestling federation well like, or, i believe and or the guy who has the money to pay for the wrestling federation. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true so uh nwa 74 august 27th and 28th in st louis uh lots of big matches many of which are championship matches what are you most excited for through that two-night card well, I think uh, what I would point to first is that um, Camille and Taya um, will be mm-hmm. the main event for night one and Tyrus and, and Trevor Murdoch will be the main event for night two. And so let's start with, uh, with Camille. Um, everybody has to remember that when Camille came in, she wasn't really, um, she'd sort of washed out of the professional wrestling system, had been in the WWE system for a, for a minute, uh, wasn't really particularly looking to wrestle. Uh, we were able to convince her that there was a place for her. And she spent two, two years, you know, being Nick, Nick Aldis's valet. Mm. And people would say, what are you doing with her? She just stands there with her arms crossed. And over those couple of years, we were able to build up not only um, her as a, as a personality, but also her confidence to where now she's a world champion. And for her to main event uh, a worldwide pay-per-view and hold it down with another great professional wrestler in Ty Valkyrie. I think that's something to really point to. I think that shows you that 
that um, and it's you know it's a little bit been it's a it's been a little bit behind the arc of of, of modern culture, but uh, the fact that uh, two great professional women can hold down a card um, in in 2022 is is a great sign of progress and and certainly a great testament to both of those athletes' uh, 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 arcs in professional wrestling. So I, I tend to look at the main events because at the end of the day, you can have a lot of cool stuff that you like, that you look forward to, but we always have to remember it's like what, what draws when people talk about WrestleMania three, what do they talk about? You know, they talk about, you know, the, the, the great savage match and they talked about the, the main event, you know, and there was a great card and <clears throat> so many legendary hall of fame wrestlers, <clears throat> but people remember, you know, the, the magic moments and they remember the main events. So um, we'll see which, which of the, which of these, uh, which of these uh, matches, uh, for example, I'm really excited about the MLW match with uh, Davey mm-hmm. Richards, the national open weight championship. I'm very happy that we were able to work this out with MLW uh, against through Billy Silas, a guy who's recently come to NWA. That guy's a beast, man. Six, seven, you know, good three twenty. I mean, he can go. And, and, and he was literally recommended to us by, I think Ricky Morton was standing there and said, Hey, you should talk to this kid. And we just kind of put him on a match just to see how we went. And literally the minute he walked out of the ring, we said, we want you in the NWA. So we've been blessed to find talents like that along the way. So I look forward to something like that just as much as I look forward to an NWA main event match. The MLW thing being the fact that we have a relationship there finally, where Mm -hmm. we can present uh, their matches and hopefully they can present some of ours. uh, Because obviously it's great for the fans. David Richards, one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the business, somebody I've worked with uh, in the past at TNA. So really looking forward to working with him again. Stuff like that. I, I, I get just as excited for stuff like that because it's very important to our company. It's very important to the fans to show that every match on the card is valuable. That's why it is on the card. I, for me, uh, I would say like there's almost there was something for everybody when I was when I'm watching NWA. I'm a big Maxi Impaler fan. Like that's like kind of one of my favorite up and coming wrestlers. So it's great we to see love them. Max. Yeah. Well, it's great to see them like on a card, like every few episodes, uh, Tyra Valkyrie, same thing. And you guys are doing a lot of really cool things with women's wrestling right now. Well, that's you. I mean, you, you, you bring up Max, Max is in the, uh, the gauntlet, the, uh, Burke invitational, uh, you know, that's going to be very interesting. When you take someone in Max's skill and power against nine other women in a gauntlet, that's something I really look forward to as well. And Max has been a pleasure to work with. Um, very talented person. Um, I just, I'm very excited that finally, I think after, you know, almost five years now that people are starting to see my particular vision of the NWA. I was criticized in the beginning and, and, and rightly so. I didn't take it the wrong way, but I was criticized for sort of not blowing a bunch of money and grabbing every available free agent and trying to throw together super cards. In essence, I took the approach of more of a, you know, like a money ball approach where we had to build the NWA from the ground up, build our own culture. And I think now that you see it where you, you take a through Billy Cyrus, a Silas, or you take a, 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 a Max, and then when you put them in the NWA system, suddenly the matches start to make, uh, the matchups start to make sense. And there's things that can happen there that would only happen in the NWA. I'm very excited. I just talked to Max yesterday. Max is, uh, is working in Japan right now. I was able to see some of that stuff. And uh, so that's awesome. You know, I mean, the fact that Max can go out and, 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 and fulfill the dream of working in Japan and at the same mm-hmm. time, um, come back and, and, and apply that, that, that power and that skill set to the NWA, uh, where the women's division, uh, in particular is just really heated up. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to shout out the, the night two main event of Trevor and Tyrus, because it's it, it, something you, you guys do at the NWA is 
when I look at people like Trev, first of all, Trevor Murdoch as NWA champion is one of my favorite things going in wrestling right now because he was a, like there. It, there is this history of people who made it to what they would consider the big time in WWE and were sort of pigeonholed into a character that typically wouldn't allow them to rise above a certain level. Like, obviously, Trevor Murdoch was there in a very countryfied gimmick uh, as a tag team. Tyrus was the f- greatest, greatest nickname of all time, the Funkasaurus, the dancing dinosaur. Um, but to see those two rise, be able to rise above that and have what I'm sure will be a banger of a match for the NWA championship in the main event of an NWA pay-per-view is so dope. Yeah, I think that's sort of one of the arguments that I've tried to make is that um, if you look at uh, maybe professional football would be an apt comparison. You can take one quarterback and put them in one system and they're and they look like an average quarterback and you put them in another system and suddenly they're winning Super Bowls. Uh, Who who won the Super Bowl last year was a Matt Stafford who, you know, labored for years in, in, in Detroit and went to a different system and now looks like a Hall of Famer overnight. When you take when you take uh, men of skill and, and size and power of, of a Trevor Murdoch or a Tyrus, uh, Trevor's what six seven about 320, 330. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrus six seven three seventy five. Okay, if you if you throw them in a different system, they, maybe they don't work or they don't sort of sort of fit in. The the, the toughness of the NWA, the historical toughness of the NWA. They're perfect. They're perfect. I, I couldn't ask for, for, for better men, better uh, people to work with, uh, people who really care at every level, not just about their own uh, particular uh, career trajectories, but also about the NWA product as a whole. So yeah, very proud to present that. And I think that's, that's you see it right there on the poster, not only the fact that we have uh, helped rehabilitate people who in the public's minds maybe would have given them that other chance, Mm-hmm. properly positioned properly yeah, given those opportunities show you why they're world-class uh, talents and 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 you know there may come a time where i'm able to kind of go out and blow money on the on the hottest you know young free agent and stuff like that until then we need to work and find those talents that have been overlooked and underappreciated and demonstrate why the people who had you know th- those decisions before uh, you know missed the boat on those people I would say uh, a prime example of that uh, is Matt Cardona, someone who was very much the the Jersey Shore sort of character in WWE and it completely reinvented himself and ended up winning in, <clears throat> in addition to other titles, the NWA title. And then you guys branded a whole show around <laughs> his gimmick, which first of all, like at, I, I've been a, I've I've been a fan of that guy since his WWE days. Like, I just like the way he, the, the directions he, he takes his character. Um, what was, what was behind that decision to take an NWA show sure. and brand it around the champion? A, and then I'm wondering what was your first thought when you got the call that, Hey, I'm injured. I'm actually not going to be able sure. to wrestle on the show. Right. Well, uh, real quick. Uh, it's all over the place, but first it's important to note that, you know, the reinvention of Matt Cardona is all Matt Cardona. Yeah. We've been the, we've been the uh, beneficiary of his reinvention. Um, And he demonstrated same thing, why other people who made those decisions about him really missed the boat. Um, The fact that he always got over, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 
uh, irregardless of whatever situation he, he, he was put in was definitely a tell. Um, as far as the, uh, the branding of the pay-per-view, the always ready pay-per-view, which as you noted, he was unfortunately injured for. Um, when, when Matt came in the NWA, uh, you know, Matt said to me, you know, you know, kind of where are the lines here? And I said, you don't understand this, the NWA, there are no lines. You can go, you can go crazy here. You can, and, and he said, I kind of want to go after, you know, the NWA. And I said, have at it. I think, I think the NWA is strong enough and tough enough to take the criticism. Uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes we call it music, the elephant in the room. Uh, when people, when people talk about the NWA being a retro or throwback product, they're really missing the boat of what the NWA is. The NWA is make a transition from, from a historical brand to a, to a modern brand. Mm -hmm. So those criticisms are going to happen, whether they happen from the New York times or, or Matt Cardona, those criticisms are going to come and those suspicions or those concerns are going to come. So I like, I like that we're sort of dealing with the elephants in the room ourselves. So, uh, there were people in the company who did not like Matt uh, being so vocally uh, negative about the NWA, uh, you know, to use the wrestling term that Matt was bearing the NWA. And I said, no, I don't think you understand here. Uh, I, I think what Matt's doing is really doing a service. He's, he's saying out loud what some people are thinking and maybe saying or not saying. And by us dealing with it, we'll show them that that, that assertion is wrong. And Matt's smart enough to know that he wouldn't be saying something. Uh, put it this way, he wouldn't be in the NWA if he truly believed that the NWA was of the past, right? Mm -hmm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Matt's really helped us turn the corner there. So uh, naming a pay-per-view uh, in Matt's honor, uh, you know, was part of that. It was like sort of like, you know, kind of like a hostile takeover type of thing. He comes in and he's able to use his leverage in his position. Um, and then we were able to turn a, a very unfortunate situation where he tore his bicep into a thing where now I'm in a position where I had to negotiate with him. Um, and which is kind of plays on the real life tension of me sort of being in the Cardona business, which I'm a big fan of, mm -hmm. and other people in the NWA not being a fan of me being in the Cardona business. <laughs> um, uh, I like to say these days, and, and then I'll get off it, you know, I, I think the NWA has kind of gone back to its territorial roots and that we have to work with talents like a Matt Cardona, who, you know, they work for Game Changer, they work for Impact, and we have to sort of find that balance between a very hot independent talent who has every decision in front of themselves. They can do whatever they want to do. They can show up, not show up. And if you want to know what kind of man Macrodona is, when he was injured, uh, literally the day he got surgery, he held up the uh, 10 pounds of gold and he said, I will be in Knoxville at the, the pay-per-view. Uh, I, I have nothing but great things to say about Matt Cardona. Um, you mentioned something there that I actually wanted to touch on, how NWA is sort of a bridge between the old and the new. I feel like you guys, A, you, there, there is a very visually, there are touches to the programming. I'm thinking, I'm speaking specifically of power right now that feel v vintage kind of throwback, but it's met, it's mixed with like, like not action of the modern day style. And also I feel like something you guys don't get cr enough credit for is utilizing YouTube to make you like utilizing new media to grow an audience for the NWA AEW does it to a degree with dark, but we, anybody who's seen dark know that it's a lot of the, the very much the undercard talent at sort of trying to make a splash to earn their way up to dynamite. NWA power is putting out some top notch shows for free and you've been doing it rather, obviously the pandemic threw some wrenches in there, but you've been doing it 
pretty consistently for a few years now. What was your what was the decision be, be behind actually saying we're gonna film these shows and we're just gonna put them out there in the world for people to consume? And we're, we're, how, what was that that excitement like when you're like, oh, people are finding this and actually grabbing onto it? Well, um, you know, it goes back to the what I was saying before about blowing money. There's different ways to blow money. Um, if I'd blown a lot of money in the beginning and again grabbed every free talent that was out there and paid them to sort of put on a pro show I wasn't really making a statement about what the NWA was secondarily I had to build the NWA or rebuild the NWA so the idea was well if I'm going to spend money I'm going to spend it to create a product that's easily accessible and then try to build an audience that way and we've had varying degrees of success there the good part of it is is that um and, and I saw this very much in my musical life is if you can start to make a qualitative argument then the price of something becomes less of an issue. Mm. When I was in a young band and nobody knew who we were and it was a $3 ticket, then it's a negotiation. When you're in a hot band and suddenly it's a $3 ticket, it's a steal and you're selling out places all over the place. So we're starting to build that pressure now, finally after four to five years, where now it's less of a negotiation and how much we're asking, more of a negotiation and how much time do you want to give us? And that's, that's what's really important. And again, remember too, uh, we exist in this super crowded ecosystem where um, we have to tape a certain number of shows. So we're not always able to put exactly what we want to put on television each and every week. And that's not to bury the talent. It's like we can't always run the angles the way we want to run them. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't run a wrestler out there necessarily three times in one taping night and have them wrestle three matches. So we have to sort of work around those things. So uh, I'm trying not to mumble about it too much. But the point is, is you try to pick a lane. And the lane that I picked was I'm going to make a product that's uh, you know, easily accessible, uh, highly entertaining, uh, very uh, much pointed at the mainstream. I'll understand going in, and I knew that four years ago, that a lot of the wrestling bubble, as I call it, would not totally understand because they only really respect people blowing money. And then over four or five years, I'll start to make the argument of the qualitative argument. And now when I say things like somebody asked me the other day in a business meeting, where do you see the NWA end up being? I said, we will reach a point, I think, if we can continue this trajectory, we will, we will be talked about in the same breath as the top companies. And, and we will eventually reach a point where we'll be able to land those types of deals where we will be able to be competitive at the top levels. If I said that four years ago, the only way people could have imagined that is if I was going to blow about $50 million of my own money or $50 million of somebody else's money. Now people can see it and it's not a money issue. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a culture issue. Mm -hmm. In essence, the NWA culture against other people's cultures and people start to go, Oh, he's actually doing something different. And that is what's so key about building a brand in the 21st century. You just have to say, here's who we are and consistently say, here's who we are. And you're going to get criticized. Well, you're not this and you're not that. And you go, I know, I hear you, but here's who we are. And this is what we're doing. Like, take it or leave it. And as you can build the quality side of it, that argument gets easier and easier to make. So I guess you've been a, you've been a wrestling fan most of your life. Uh, what would be your first wrestling memory? What's the thing that, that drew you into professional wrestling? Well, I, I, I had a very unfortunate situation in my life where I, when I was young, I ended up living with my great grandmother who was a Belgian immigrant in her eighties. And my grandfather, who was probably about 60 at the time. Uh, and they watched professional wrestling and roller derby circa 1971, 72. So here's me as a four-year-old, five-year-old kid <laughs> watching, you know, Dick the Bruiser in his prime, uh, you know, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, Vern Gagne. Uh, I had no idea what I was watching. You know, how could I? I was just a little kid. 
and uh, and 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 it was the it was the rugged toughness and the sort of the raw edges of the thing that 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 sort of you know congealed in my mind is like oh this is what professional wrestling is. Um, you know, there's that old adage where people talk about, I, I, I've heard uh, Kevin Nash say many times, like, you should be the type of person who, when you walk through an airport, people turn their heads and say, who's that? So I very much believe that because I grew up with people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even a crippler, Ray Stevens, who was probably about five, ten, six feet, he had a he had an aura about him that told you he was the guy you didn't want to mess with the end of the bar at the end of the bar, even when you're five, six years old. So that's always in my mind. If you if you look at that poster and you don't see the toughest, meanest people, kind of what are you looking at? Um, and that's why the NWA and me are sort of aligned at this point in terms of what I want to pre- represent. And and oftentimes I jokingly say, in many ways, the NWA is more like the AWA than the NWA. You know, because because in Chicago we very much grew up on the AWA. But again, the AWA came out of the NWA with the Gagne, so it's six and one half dozen of the other. But there's a certain type of toughness. Um, sorry, repeating myself, but that's. That's, you know, we all remember that first, like first time I went to Wrigley Field as a kid and, you know, there's the Ivy and stuff. Well, first time I saw wrestling was literally Dick the Bruiser, you know, with the cigar in his hand screaming down the, down the television at me, you know, and scaring the life out of me or Harley Race scaring the life out of me. Oh, that's amazing. Like, yeah, because, yeah, for me, like I, I grew up in central California and we did, we, we had WWF programming and I, all I can remember is Roddy Piper being an awesome awesome villain like i i hated him and i loved so much that i hated him and then the pomp and circumstance of macho man those are the yeah. two memories that first come to mind the the with macho it's the it's the the frills hanging off his jacket the music everything and then roddy roddy piper just being such a dick and thinking like wow like that is that must be the, the best job but let me stop you real quick because here's what's so important is See, as a kid, you connected with the, the, you know, the outsized end of the characters, but you're also talking about two of the greatest workers of all time. Absolutely. So this is where I get grumpy as a wrestling fan is you can put people over all day. You could say, I like this and like this, and I love this and I love it. If you can't get it done at that other level in the, in the ring. And by the way, the greatest workers, I will, I will point out, they can work with anybody. Mm-hmm. They can work with anybody, any size, any weight division. You know what I mean? You go, go find me a bad Macho Man match. You won't find one because <laughs> it doesn't exist. It doesn't Not exist. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't exist. How is it possible the guy never had a bad match? He's just one of the great workers, right? So that's what I'm saying is the public, and we're talking like they're not here, right? The public, the public will find the things that hooks them. You know, a vibe, a color, a promo, a thing, a run-in, blah, 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 blah. But people in the business, you know, it's really about who can work. Well, and I guess that's the thing. Me as a kid, like, the initial draw was those loud characters. But, like, there had to be something to to actually keep the hooks in. And holy cow, watching those two, like, cut it up in the ring with a variety of people it's yeah you're right there is no bad macho man randy savage match because he, i he i don't even know how he could be capable of such a thing and like it's one of it's one of those situations where no matter how strong the character is yes you have to have that backing of being able to go like ultimately 
looking back now from 2022 to the early 90s or 1990, I guess, the Undertaker gimmick is it's it's a little like in modern day terms, it's a little bit hokey. But like Matt, not only it connected then, and then watching a big a, a guy that big move as well as he did and be able to do like make you believe what he was doing in the ring, that makes that character go so far over the top. Well, that was part of the that's just quick, quick diversion. That was part of the interesting sort of criticism of the WWF style when they went very cartoony, right? Because all the guys that had come out of territorial wrestling, they said you're killing the business because you're going so so far into the kind of the the cartoon end that this is going to kill the business and vince of course proved him wrong and the the business got even bigger Mm -hmm. when people got tired of that style then what happened then the business shifted back towards the sort of the realistic and that's where you see a great worker like taker shift back towards you know a, a greater sense of realism the american badass character was part of that for a while um i remain a fan of the american badass like Damn. that that came out about at the exact right time where i was like man motorcycles are cool limp biscuits <laughs> kind of cool i guess you admitted you liked it we like, liked it back then it was the look i was in it for the limp biscuit i was not in it for the kid rock oh <laughs> yeah i mean so so i guess the point i'm trying to make is we're on a cyclical thing here right and mm-hmm. and the question then becomes uh is is the rise of independent wrestling to the to the to the international level or or maybe more artfully said the japanese style of wrestling raised to the international level to where it's now an international draw uh, is that something that will sustain um and and grow an audience you know what i mean or is that Mm -hmm. something that will have its own version of a of a a variant and kind of go down a, a different road um you know, I'm obviously heavily invested in characters and realism. Uh, I believe that no matter what is going on to the left or right of the NWA, you know, if we're if we're the if we're the sort of the uh, the historic middle, uh, I believe the business will always be uh, solidly placed exactly where we are. But that's not to say trends don't matter. Um, I think you've seen where we've tried to make uh, you know uh, uh, m- more emphasis, particularly on the junior heavyweight division. Um, Colby Carino, PJ Hawks, uh, Kerry Morton, and of course, Homicide being the champ, Rhett Titus, uh, Mike Bennett, even sometimes working in the, in the junior heavyweight division, we have a 225 weight limit. So yes, we acknowledge that there is a lot of interest in cruiserweights going on right now in, 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 in the, in the fandom, but at the same time, we try to say, okay, well, what makes the NWA version of that different? So we put a 225 weight limit. So when you watch an NWA cruiserweight match or junior heavyweight match, you're going to see a lot more physicality than you would pretty much anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably outside outside of Japan. It definitely feels more, uh, the the junior weight division, it feels a lot more powerhousey, which I really like. It feels harder, harder hitting, I'd say. Thank you. Well, part of that is my experiences in TNA, right? Um uh, the X division was one of the best things about TNA's, uh, you know, heyday. Um, but being there on the booking side and being there and producing talent, it became this kind of go-to thing of like, oh, pay-per-view, we're going to start the six-man, you know, six guys are going to go out and do a bunch of other tons, tons of crazy stuff, no sell the shit out of everything, and then there's going to be a champ. And then we'll go with pay-per-view cycle, do it all over again. So after I saw about 57 of those matches with really great talent, 
Davy Richards being one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, gosh, I mean, so many names j- jump out in my head when I think about the people that were working there. That I, it, it ultimately bothered me that it sort of didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? Okay. That it was sort of like it was just kind of feeding different people into one end of the machine, and then when people left, there were just new people to do new crazy shit. Um, so that's why it's important for me to have the end of the way thing be very branded in a particular way. I appreciate that because as someone who loved uh, early X Division stuff in uh, TNA, seeing even what it is now, it's like it's it does definitely feel like that. It, it feels like a it's how many how many like six man matches can we put together where people have to climb things and do crazy jumps off of things. But like mm-hmm. there, there's so much talent and like historically, there's been so much talent laced throughout that division that and talent of all sizes that like it's it's kind of ridiculous when you look at the if you just look at a list of former X Division champions, it's a who's who of like modern day pro wrestling. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely make the argument that that it was it was the X division that sort of was part of what launched this. Uh, I would trace it back a little further to when um, Eddie and and uh, uh, Guerrero and and um, Jericho, you know, were basically treated as mid carters in WCW. I said on the Jericho podcast that if you really want to call the 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 elite revolution, I think it started in, in late '90s WCW, and I think that. Uh, uh, TNA was wise to pick up on that and make it more mm-hmm. of a featured thing because obviously there was something about that that was getting over. Um, I think it's hard for me, and I used to say this in the booking meetings at TNA, it's hard for me if you're going to ask somebody to go out and do these crazy, uh, dangerous things, if there's sort of not a story line point for it. In essence, you're just doing it to do it, and then you do it some more and do it some more. So um, I think it's gotten certainly more sophisticated. Certainly impacts gotten more sophisticated in that regard. And, and it's, it's one of the signature parts of their product, which is again, why I wanted to differentiate what made, makes us mm-hmm. different. Um, because a, I didn't want to ape what somebody else was doing or other people are doing, but at the same time, I also want to say, well, what makes it NWA? So if you look at who is in our, in our X division, you know, our junior heavyweight division, you can see that everybody in there is pretty much tough as nails. Um, you, uh, you clearly know a lot about wrestling history. How important is it for you? Like the NWA, no matter how you look at it is the most, I would argue the most storied wrestling company ever. Like it, it's, it's roots go back so far. It is, it is such an important piece of professional wrestling history. How important is it for you? Now that you're essentially the custodian of that history, you you were the one who essentially brought the NWA back from not really being much of a thing to the point where it's just thriving more and more, as well as keeping that history alive. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, <clears throat> it, I can take it in a lot of different ways. I'll start here. Um, you know, I bought the NWA. I was like, cool, I bought the NWA, right? It's like, what did I buy, right? <laughs> And then I started doing my research and there was so much that I didn't know. And five years later, there's still so much I didn't know. I think I could be wrong and somebody will yell at me, I'm sure. But I certainly know it was at one point when the NWA was a territorial governing body, um, the National Wrestling Alliance, there were over a hundred different NWA territories. 
there were seven key ones in America, but they were everywhere. I mean, you know, Amarillo and, you know, Mexico and I mean, you just, Japan, it's it, Australia. Um, so you can go down these rabbit holes with the history and it's just insane. You know, like mm-hmm. there'll be NWA Australia and then there's the time that Harley went over there and, the, you know, there's all that. But then there's also the localized versions and the localized belts and all this stuff. So um, it's very humbling because if you think about it, it's like sort of a like if you look at the Major League Baseball, um, one of the one of the great lights on on modern sports in the, in the 20th century was the fact that there was a point where all the major leagues uh, disbarred African-American players for being involved. Um, You know, I think there's one extent issue of an African-American player in the 1800s being allowed to play, but for the most part, it was, it was a prohibitive thing until Jackie Robinson broke the color color barrier. And so at, in the 21st century, you cannot talk about the history of any major sporting league without acknowledging that, 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 that those leagues were also built on, what were called the Negro leagues or, you know what I mean? That, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, you know, Ernie Banks, who was somebody I got to know a little bit, hall of fame hub player had it when he was very young played in those, those leagues. Um, there were, there were, there were all-star games between the stars of the African-American leagues versus the stars of the major leagues. That's all kind of been not swept under the rug, but like, it's not something anybody wants to really claim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not trying to make a point about a, or race or social history. What I'm trying to say is that um, if you're gonna if you're gonna lead the NWA and you don't really appreciate everything that went into building the NWA up until 1948, and then what went on past 1948, and then what happened, you know, in the in the late 80s and 90s. If you don't sort of appreciate all that history, then you're sort of just wearing the hat, you know, or the T-shirt. And say, yeah, it's mine, but it's not, you're not really taking possession. In essence, you're not really paying honor to those that came before. That's the point I'm trying to make. So you you must pay, you know, like that's the, the bad point I'm making about the differentiation of the leagues in the 20th century. What's the same thing with the NWA? I can't not recognize all the stuff that happened before the 48 and they formed an association which got investigated by the government for collusion and all this stuff, right? <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it very inartfully, but what I'm trying to say is if you don't realize all the shoulders that you're standing on, you don't really know what you're doing. The, the difficult part is it doesn't necessarily translate to a 22 year old fan. Hey, it's the NWA, the goat. Yeah. So what? I'm a fan of blank. You know, tell me why I should like it. You can't mm-hmm. wave a piece of paper and say history, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to them. And that's okay. But if you can set it up where at some point you are able to connect them to that history, mm-hmm. they like what they're seeing. They, they live in what they're seeing. And then you can connect them back and they go, Oh, wow, there's this tradition. There's this history. Now you start to look at why the NFL does what the NFL does, why MLB does what they do, because suddenly it starts to feel like there's a greater, it's not, you haven't just won the world series. You've entered the history books. You're not just, you haven't just won the Stanley cup. Now you're actually on the cup, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you've gotten into now. And as I like to say, and I'll get off it is, uh, people can talk all they want about this company, that company. When you see a professional wrestler win the 10 pounds of gold and you see them backstage holding that belt and they know that their name is now part of that, that history book, it's pretty humbling to see that as somebody who's not in the business on that side. That's when it tells me how important it is to them. And I know how it is important to me over here, but 
when I see that, when you see the tears in people's eyes and what it means to their family and their, and their, and all the hard work, mm-hmm. that's when, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad that's how you ended your answer because it feeds into arguably the most controversial question I'm going to ask you the world's heavyweight championship. We all know it as the 10 pounds of gold. Have you put that thing on a scale? <laughs> it is heavy. I don't mm-hmm. think we've actually, we- it, we- sorry, my son's here. I don't think we've actually waited, but it is heavy. I, it might even be 12 pounds for all I know. It's heavy. It's it's not light. I tell you that. Okay, good. I, it's one of those things like you, I've heard 10 pounds of gold all my life, but I've yet to see someone weigh it. And I've ne- I have never, obviously, that would be a good, I am... you, know, you gave me a good idea for like a heel thing. There you, know you know go. <laughs> you have the heel come out and say, you know, you guys are lying. This ain't 10 pounds of gold. This is clearly nine pounds, eight ounces <laughs> yeah, of gold. Yeah. Yeah, I think somebody actually did weigh it at some point. I feel like there's a memory in there somewhere. Like somebody's like, oh, it's eight pounds, eight ounces or something. But um, put, put it this way, it's it's stuck. And that's that's all that matters. At least put this way, at least when you say it, people know what you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. And it just, and honestly, it sounds so cool. Just like, I, I, I am the carrier of the 10 pounds of gold. You say that and people know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, well, that's we've gone on now. You know, we uh, we did the, the the ladies' belt in honor of Mildred Burke. You know, the belt mm-hmm. that I own, actually, crazily enough. You know, the original belt. From oh, you own the original? Oh, you didn't know that? I did not know. That's oh, so yeah. cool. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, I was able through the uh, the granddaughter of Mildred Burke to purchase her original belt from 1937. I believe it's from. Wow. Um, so if you if you look Google any pictures of Mildred Burke with the belt, I actually own that belt. <laughs> Um, so we modeled, we modeled the, uh, the, the modern NWA belt on the Berg belt, including with the, the person's picture, the title holder is actually in the belt. Oh, um, I, I literally just Googled the belt and it is a picture of you holding the belt. <laughs> there I am. I love yeah. it. It's awesome. So again, history, right? Think, yeah. Just, just, I'm, I'm a bit of a mark in this way where they call them in the, in the business belt marks. When you hold the belt and you think of all the people who you know, held that belt, were around that belt, the locker rooms that belt was in, the rings that belt was in, you know, it's, it's like a who's who of the, of the business from, from the late 30s into the 60s, really. So it's very humbling. Um, yeah, so, so we call the female uh, belt the Burke now. Uh, I've been thinking about it. naming the, uh, the, um, the uh, junior heavyweight championship belt, the, uh, the Hodge, uh, because Danny Hodge, I think, held it something like seven times. I think Ricky Morton's also held it about seven times. So I'm, oh, I'm, wow. I'm sure Ricky Mark Morton might have an argument there. <laughs> uh, the Morton, although it gets into the, the restaurant chain, which ironically, my uh, is, is my best friend in the world. His family uh, started that restaurant chain. Really? Yeah. So. Uh, well, clearly they should hire Ricky Morton as a spokesperson. I'm, I'm on it. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> is that the is now i have to ask uh the burke belt is that the only belt do you have or do you do you have a a collection of your own uh i've tried to buy others unfortunately conrad thompson i think beats me to every every <laughs> he buys every belt the dude has so many belts it's ridiculous no i told conrad when he found out that i bought the Mildred burke belt he, he you know in his in in inimitable accents how the hell did you buy that um <laughs> And I said, trust That's me, I, I, I bought it directly from from uh, from Mildred Burke's granddaughter. And, and I made sure that you didn't know because you would have bought it out. From <laughs> <laughs> um, no, unfortunately, I don't have any other historic belts. I've looked into some. Um, there's one belt that uh, I just recently found out that a historic wrestler owns a, a historic belt actually related to the Burke belt. Um, oh, wow. 
and I did offer to buy that and I have not yet re received a response, but I would like to own more. Uh, again, I, 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 that history, it's hard to quantify, but when I look at the Mildred Burke belt, um, you know, and uh, I have a few other things, it, it, it sort of, it makes me go like, okay, you know, you're going to have to work hard here. This is, this, this is, this is bigger than you. Mm -hmm. um, Cause in my music life, it's mostly about me and my band, right? In, in the NWA, it's about me and a lot of other things and a lot of other people. And so there's something about that where you kind of occasionally need to be reminded like, hey, you know, keep your eyes on the prize and uh, stay true to what this thing's about. Awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for talking to us and uh, everybody listening, NWA 74, August 20th. Oh, I don't have the dates in front of me anymore. 27th to 28th. August 27th to 28th. I'll be releasing the official card any second. So maybe by the time this airs, it'll be out. But uh, yeah, Perfect. it's a pretty, pretty crazy card over two nights. That I'm, 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 yeah, I'm looking just at the names involved. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a very good time. The, 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 the two night show. I feel like that is something that we're getting closer and closer. Like it's becoming a little bit more common. What, what make, what makes it important for you guys to run a two night show just to throw that in there? Cause I'm very curious. I think it sort of says to the public that you're, you know, you're not going anywhere and you don't have to watch, but you will pay attention because mm. how can you not pay attention to a two night pay-per-view? Because there's so much stuff that's going to happen. Invariably, there's going to be some results, some headlines, some run in something that's going to make you go, okay, the NWA, remember four or five years ago, the NWA couldn't get arrested. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I said something about a year ago about how, and of course it turned, got turned into a clickbait headline, but you know, the WWE had passed on buying the NWA, the guy who sold it to me had taken it to the WWE and they wanted nothing to do with it. Cause as far as they were concerned, they had enough NWA IP already. They didn't need to buy the trademark. No one was ever going to bring it back. Why spend their money? So uh, lo and behold, here we are five years later. Of course, it got turned into it was so worthless. No, it wasn't worthless. They just didn't think that anybody would ever rise up and be competitive with the name NWA ever again. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing. And, 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 uh, and here, it's super crowded, right? If you're 20 years old, uh, heck, if you're 30 years old, you've grown up with video games, uh, you know, every kind of live event sports. 8,000 cable channels now uh, over the top networks where you can watch things on demand. So to get anybody's attention for even five minutes, particularly in wrestling, mm. um, that is a, that is an accomplishment. So the two night pay-per-view says, look, we're not going anywhere and you will pay attention even if you don't want to, because invariably you're going to run into something that's going to pique your interest. And over time we will wear you down and you will come around to understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Hell yeah. No silly this this week. No lawyers coming on. No prediction bots. No hackers. Real serious Matt, wrestling program. And I'll tell you what, I don't even care to shake these zipper blues. And we don't know just where our bones will rest. To dust, I guess. Forgotten and absorbed into the earth below. Mm -hmm. Double cross the vacant and the board. They have they're lyrics not, up on they're your not monitor. Sure just what we have in store. Morphine City slipping dues down to sea. <laughs> Dork. Yeah. Before the episode started, I said, hold on just a second. Before you like we were bringing up lyrics. I pulled up the lyrics to 1979. Because, like, honestly, I love that song to death. I don't know 85 to 90% of the lyrics of that song because it's just it's just all over the place. And I love I it. I think about this a lot during about 90s music. 
is that I love a lot of stuff from the 90s. I mean, that was our teenage years. I don't know the lyrics, like the real lyrics of most songs. I just know like a summation of it. Like any any Pearl Jam song. Like, I don't know a lyric to it. It's just, it's just even rest his head on a pillow made of concrete. Is that it? Matt, I'm going to ask you a very important question right now. How many of the lyrics do you know to Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind? I never really liked that song. I know doot, doot, doot. But semi trying to life, baby, baby. I want something else to I get pat- me through this. I, oh, yeah. Oh, listen. I know the chorus. I think it's about, I'm pretty sure it's about drug abuse. I'm sure. I'm packed and I'm holding. I'm smiling. She's living. She's golden. She lives for me. Says she lives for me. Ovation. Her own motivation. She comes round and she goes down on me. I, I remember that one. And I make Somebody you smile do like what a you drug do. for you. Do whatever what you want to do coming over you. Keep on smiling what we go through. One stop to the rhythm that divides you, Matt. And I speak to you like the chorus to the verse. Chop around line. Why are we talking about chopping around the line like a coda with a curse? Come on like a freak show takes the stage. Why are we reading we lyrics the games to Third we play, Eye Blind? She says, what? Why are we reading lyrics to Third Eye Blind? I don't know. I got nothing else to talk about. Uh, so I guess that's it for this week. Yeah, thank you to Billy Corgan. Yeah, thank uh, you. NWA, what 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 is it? What is the Power. show, Matt? No, no, no. They have a big pay per view coming up. Uh, that's NWA seventy four that is taking place August twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Got now got double check because I. It's August twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Trevor Murdoch versus Tyrus in the main event of night two for the world title. Uh, and then I believe the main event of night one is Camille versus Taya Valkyrie for the NWA Women's Championship. Yes. Yes. That's pretty fantastic. Anyways, that's it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, Chris, any final words? Oh, yeah, Matt. Um, I think it's very clear what my final words here are going to be. But just Mm -hmm. so you know, the sky was gold. It was rose. I was taking sips of it through my nose. And I wish I could get back there somewhere back someplace back there in the place where we used to start. Do, 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 do. I'm done. Step back from that bridge, my friend. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Russell Buddies. We hope you had at least almost as much fun as we did. Go ahead and rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. You can email us questions at WrestleBuddies at GameSpot.com or find us over on Twitter at WrestleBuddies. I am at Chris Hayner. He is at I'm Matt Elfring. See you next week. WrestleBuddies is a copywritten GameSpot website podcast. You do not have permission to use anything contained within the episode. You'll be sued by me, Dog Dad Lawyer. I've got a dog named Clarence. He's a beautiful pug.